This is Transistor.fm. Hello, friends. Justin Jackson here. Welcome back to Product People. Today, we have Pippin Williamson on the show, and this is a part of our Mega Profitable series. So if you're not subscribed to my newsletter yet, go to megamaker.co slash profit and sign up on the email list there, and you'll get these case studies emailed to you. And Pippin's story is amazing. He started, like a lot of us, just building websites for people, just building them for whoever would pay them, uh, charging way too little. And as he was doing that, he started building little plugins to add functionality to these websites. And eventually the plugin business took off. And he tells the story of how he went from, you know, making a, a few hundred bucks a month all the way to a few years ago, they broke a million dollars in revenue. So let's get right into it. Here is my chat with Pippin. Yeah, I think I'd like to go back to the beginning and how all of this kind of started. You were mentioning sure that you started building web pages. Was that like right out of college? What, what's kind of the background there? Yeah, so I, I originally started just being an HTML, CSS developer, building, building websites for anybody that would hire me. Um, right about the end of high school is when I started doing it. Um, so maybe my senior year. And then my first couple years of college, I, I kept doing it as just a little side project, make some rent money here and there. Um, and that that's when I decided to go ahead and create the business called Pippin's Pages, um, which is, you know, building web pages is what I thought I was going to be doing for a long time. And then um, that that slowly transitioned into building products and building building um, products inside of the WordPress ecosystem, which is where the Pippin's plugins came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and then that eventually transitioned into instead of just me building plugins, instead of Pippin's plugins, it started turning into a team of people. Um, as I started to bring on contractors, I would work part-time, and then we eventually started bringing full-time people on. Um, and that eventually transitioned into us making a... We, we basically just renamed the company from Pippin's Pages LLC to Sand Hills Development. I didn't really like the idea of the company being named after me. Mm-hmm. What if I walk away? Like, what if I want to sell it tomorrow? Well, pers- personally branded company didn't really make sense to me at that point. Um, and so we, we renamed it. And so now we are Sand Hills Development. Gotcha. Now, so how old are you now, by the way? I'm 28. You're 28. All right. So I guess that would have been, let's, about, so nine, ten years ago. You 2000, were... about 2007. Okay. That's when, that's when it all about started. 2007, 2008. 2007, 2008, you're just graduating from high school and you're building web pages for anyone who would hire you. Uh, yep. And where are you living at this point? Uh, I, at that time, I was living in Lawrence, Kansas, which is where the University of Kansas is. Okay. Um, I grew up in central Kansas, uh, just about three hours from there, and that's where I live now. Okay. See, and I think one thing that'll be interesting for folks is. A 
lot of people can identify with this idea of building web pages for whoever will hire them. But how did you get from that to start like the how did you make the jump initially to building products? Like what was the first thing you did? So it was actually um, part of it was a natural transition. Part of it was an accident. So mm -hmm. I, I had clients that would ask me to, to build something for their site. And so then I would build it. And there was a couple of them that they wanted these these features and things for their sites that I, I recognized had a reuse, um, like a, a possibility to reuse them. Yeah. And so if I could build them into, say, a little a little software package, basically, um, I, at that time I had no intention of making money off of them. But if I thought, if I can build this into a plugin that I can put onto multiple sites and I can reuse it, and this will be great. Yeah. Save, save myself some time, maybe save some other people some time. And so I did that with some of the features that, that people had been asking me for. Um, and then with one of them, I just decided, you know, let's just, let's put it up for sale. And, you know, if I make five bucks a year, great. There's a, there's a latte. Yeah. Um, and I did, and then it actually ended up working pretty well and sold a lot more than $5 a year. Um, and that that was the start of it. So I, I just, I built one product for, I mean, I built one feature for a client, turned it, it turned into a product kind of by accident, decided to sell it. And it kind of started a, I don't know, I, after, do, after doing that, I then built another one. And then mm -hmm. I built another one and I built another one. And I, bu I basically just built a whole bunch of these little tiny products that maybe made, 15 to to $100 a month max um and that just slowly transitioned into building more and then eventually I realized that I had built enough of them that I had a real possibility of saying you know maybe I'm not going to do client work anymore maybe I'm just going to build these build these little products sell them for 5 to $20 a piece and I can pay my bills um and so one one summer um between my junior and senior year of college I decided to give it a go and I said, all right, this is my, this is my summer to experiment. And if, if I can pay my bills with just these products, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to quit my part-time job that I have working at a theater. I'm going to try and see if I can do this and I'm getting married in a year. So this is my chance to do it. This is the, I won't, I'll never have more freedom than I have right now. Let's, let's see what we can do. <laughs> and, so and, I did so, it and it worked. And it worked. So what, what was the first product? What was the first thing you made a dollar on? Uh, it was this little plugin for WordPress called Font Uploader. So I had a client that just, they really wanted to have the ability to control the fonts on their website. Mm. Um, and this was before we had, before the web development world had any decent um, ways to actually add fonts to a site or use which fonts you want to use. So I built them this little this little thing that allowed them to take a TTF or OTF file, which were your common font types at the time and upload it to their site and then select a element. So you could say, I want all of my blog post headers to be this font. I want all of my page titles to be this font. And I want my paragraph text to be this font. And that was it. Um, so I called it font uploader and it allowed people to, to customize the fonts on their website without having too much technical knowledge. It required a little bit of knowledge, but, but not much. Uh, and, it worked. Now, when you were deciding to make that jump, because um, you were saying you were making sometimes $100 a month, um, and then, you know, this gradually increased, but then there was this point where you're like, I'm going to try this summer or whatever it was to really focus on this and make the jump from this is paying some of my bills 
to all of my bills. <laughs> what was that journey like? What did what changed from you know you just making some money to to more money? What what did that kind of look like? Um, I think the main thing was a commitment or yeah, a, a verbal commitment to myself that said, I'm not going to accept any more client work for this period. So up until up to that point, I was still doing quite a bit of client work for um, a couple of agencies and various clients around the web. Um, kind of like, again, anybody that would hire me, but I had some consistent clients at this point. Um, and they could easily, I could continue to work for them and comfortably pay my bills. And so the first thing was just a commitment that said, I am not going to say yes to another client project. Instead, I'm going to take the risk. I will probably struggle for a few months, but I need to take these, these three months or so here and build out some more products that will, um, fill the void left by saying no to the client projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I did, and I, I built a couple more products. I, I, I continued working on some that I had been, um, that I had had in the works or ones that maybe had been a little bit neglected because I had, most of my time was spent on client work um, then. And so I had to transition from billing hourly or billing project to, I'm not billing at all. Mm -hmm. And all of my revenue was coming from these sales. Was there one particular, like, big winner that you had released that gave you confidence or was it a bunch of just revenue coming from a bunch of things? Um, so it was kind of a combination. There was a, a lot of like little bits of revenue coming from a bunch of different little products. I think at that time I probably had 25 to 30 products. Um, and there were two big ones. So in the last 10 years, we, we have seen the rise and fall of image sliders on websites. Mm -hmm. So it became very, very popular to throw up this big slideshow on the, in the masthead of your website and have your images or your branding or something like that go across. So I built one of the very first uh, slider plugins for the WordPress world um, that allowed somebody to easily add that to their site. That was one of my first successful products that was, that was earning two to $3,000 a month at that time. Gotcha. Um, and it, and it had grown to, to, to that pretty quickly. And then there was another one that I had called Easy Content Types that would allow somebody to add um, these different content types to their website as well as like... Um, so let's say that somebody had, had a site um, built on top of WordPress and they wanted to um, separate out the sections of their site into relevant... Um, content categories. So for example, if they're a public, if they're a publisher, they might have books, magazines, and um, I don't know, some other kind of content type that you would see in a, in a publishing business. Yeah. So I built this, I built this system called easy content types that would allow a site owner to, to construct all of that without requiring any, any development knowledge. Um, and that was my second big, big one. It was the combination of that image slider and the content types system that made me realize I can do this. Like this is going to be um, enough to sustain me and my wife in a year. Um, and I think we can live off of it. Yeah. And what were, so let's say that one's, you know, you said one's doing two or three K a month. What were your expenses like at the time? Um, honestly, pretty low because so this was, um, 
I think by this point I was either near my senior year, gradu- graduating my senior year or just after. Um, cause this would have been six to nine months after I decided to take the plunge that summer. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they were pretty minimal. Uh, my wife and I lived in an apartment. I think we, we paid $500 a month in rent. We had, you, we had your standard utilities and maybe a Netflix account. And that was about it. Mm-hmm. Aside from your, your groceries and other standard living expenses. Um, the, all of all of your areas in Kansas from central Kansas to, to Eastern Kansas are pretty economical when it comes to living expenses. Yeah. So we could live for less than a thousand dollars a month. Wow. Um, and so we were, we were living pretty comfortably. Uh, <laughs> I remember my, I was, uh, I was not used to, um, living. I was, I was used to living very, very minimally and living in low end apartments. And I remember renting this, renting a house and my landlord, the the guy that we were renting it from, looked at us weird when we when we rented it because we I realized later on that we could have been living in a much 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 nicer house, and yet we were living in this little itty bitty like <laughs> 500 square foot house, and uh, but it was but it was great. So our, yeah, our expenses were very minimal, and we were we were realizing that we could um, to make quite a bit off of it. Yeah, that's that is one piece of profitability that a lot of folks don't consider is that if your expenses are low, that's, that's the second part of the profit equation is absolutely revenue is the first one. And the, the second one is expenses. And if your expenses are low, if you are living in New York, uh, in Manhattan and you have six kids and, um, you know, two car payments, etc it's going to be a lot harder to get to profitability than it is if you're in Kansas and for sure your expenses are a lot lower. Well, um, you know, it's a, go ahead. You, that's an interesting point because when we, when we were um, right after I graduated and my wife graduated, we were contemplating where to go. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were at a financial position at that point because our expenses had been so low and our revenue was high enough that we had quite a bit in the bank we, we realized that we could live anywhere we wanted. Um, mm-hmm. and we made the choice of, you know what, let's go home. Let's go back to central Kansas. Let's buy it, buy a decent house that has a very low mortgage because living expenses are so low here. And we, we don't need to go throw all of our money away just to live in a, live in a, say a highly desired area. Let's go home with family. Mm-hmm. And that worked out pretty well for us. So right now, are you, are you over a hundred thousand dollars a year in profit? We are. Yeah. Right now. Um, now that's not, that has not been a consistent trend that mm-hmm. has been, so we've been profitable since day one. We have never mm-hmm. had a year that we had a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this year we're sit, currently sitting about two to 225,000 in profit. Um, and previous years we've seen anywhere from 30 to 60,000 in profit. Um, and then that's at, that's after we became a non-single member company. So it's a, it was a little bit different when it was just me because mm-hmm. um, the first the first year of the company being six su- being successful, it was still just me, and I just took my 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 salary was whatever the company made. Yeah. The year after that, which was still just me, I decided you know what I'm going to set myself a salary and I'm going to separate the company finances from my personal. Se- 
salary, my personal finances. Yeah. Um, and then that year we, we still had a set. I think we had maybe 50,000 in profit, then 30 or then 60, then 30. And then, uh, where we are today, which is, um, sitting on 225 at the moment. Yeah. The, I think this is the big question I got when I, I said I was going to do this series is some folks were like, well, does profit include disbursements and owner salary? And I said, yes, it's, it should be after uh, disbursements and, and owner salary. And so that's, that's awesome. I think what the, maybe actually talk a little bit about that, about the move to just paying yourself a salary and what the pros and cons of that were. Sure. Well, so one of the things that I, I, I started to recognize pretty early on that I thought we had a good thing going. Um, mm-hmm. obviously we were, we were, I was a single, single person company and we were, we were doing very well. Um, and I started to recognize that, you know what, we're working on an, in an online ecosystem. We have a lot of customers at some point I'm going to piss somebody off yeah. probably. Yeah. And if I get sued, I want to be okay. If the yeah. company goes bankrupt because we got sued, I hope I'm still okay. And so the first thing was to separate personal and, and company finances. Yeah. Um, that way you can, you can sue, sue with the company, but my house is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically. Uh, so that was the first thing. Second was, um, we had, we had one year where I paid myself whatever the company made. And it was very easy to, to see how that could get a little bit out of control with, uh, lifestyle creep. Mm-hmm. And, and so as, I mean, as you, as you make more, as your company does better and better, it's very easy to say, you know what, I'm going to upgrade my car. I'm going to upgrade my house. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Oh shoot. Our company made $250,000 this year. And I'm the same, only person in the company. You know what? Screw it. Let's drop 10 grand and go do something. Mm-hmm. So I re- started to recognize that, that that was a very easy thing to get into and I wanted to avoid it. And so I said, you know what, if I set myself a salary cap, that's, that is my salary and everything else um, after that can get reinvested back into the company. That's what's going to allow us to hire people. That's what's going to allow us to, to grow this into more than just me. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that was, that was one of the other early things that we did that I think was very, very, very valuable. Um, and I think I'm still pretty much at the same salary that I was four years ago. Um, and that's been great. Mm-hmm. And it makes it much, much easier for us to, to look at how we're doing as a company and say, we're going to, we're going to invest 50,000 into, into, into this project, or we're going to, we're going to do this, or how are, how are we looking? And instead of, um, we know exactly how much we're going to spend every single month on salary. Yeah. Everything after that is flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super important. I found, I, I'm just, uh, into my second year now of being independent and one thing I noticed is that, and I just pay myself in uh, dividends, and the the challenge with that is exactly <laughs> exactly what you've said. The the company essentially, after disbursements, makes no profit because, you know, if I have a thirty thousand dollar month, I'm like, yeah, all right, let's you know, let's spend some money, let's do these things that we've been waiting to do, let's. It's a lot easier to be free with the money, and yes. um, the the challenge with that is, I mean, on one hand, the the advantage to that is the flexibility. So if 
one month, uh, you know, we have a, I don't know, a $3,000 orthodontist bill, it's a lot easier to go, oh, okay, well, I'll just pay myself more dividends. That's, we're done, right? Yep, absolutely. But the disadvantage is I haven't been very profit-focused, and um, one of the things I was encouraged to do this past year was look at my profit margins after owner disbursements and essentially I was like well I'm at probably about zero to five percent you know and um, and what uh, what this one fellow said to me was five percent is kind of like the new break-even if you're at five percent profit margins that means <laughs> all this investment you're putting into your business is actually not investment you're just basically getting a salary and there's no added advantage to running a business. So huh, interesting. So um, what what for you, it seems like you had this realization of I want to keep some money in the business. I want to I want this thing to yeah. ha- have uh, a nest egg inside of it. What led you to that? Was it just you always being quite frugal and liking having the money I in think- the bank? I think there's a few things. So the first is that I, 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 my growing up, we we were comfortable as a family. We were never wealthy. We were never super poor. We were reasonably comfortable, but But just as a, as an aside, what, what did your parents do for work? Um, well, so they, they varied. So my mom was a professional florist for a while. Mm -hmm. My father was a professional software developer. Then they ran an organic apple orchard, and they also ran a dry cleaners. Okay. So they did a variety of things. All <laughs> now, right. Now, now my mom is mostly retired, and my my dad is a software developer still. Okay. Um, but but anyway, I for all of the years that when I was at college and before that, I became very comfortable with not having more than five dollars in my bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, I I very much lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, I never had spending money. I remember going around and watching friends that that had a lot more and like watch them be able to spend liberally and and enjoy things and I some of it I remember being envious of but also I think it I became really appreciative of having been very very little mm-hmm. um and one of the things that that led me to do was to say look before I hire my first person I will have their salary in the bank for a year their annual salary will be in the bank before I ever hire them Um, and I'm very, I'm not completely adverse to risk, but every risk that I take is going to be very, very calculated. We're going to make sure that it's a safe, it's a safe gamble. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like the, the idea that I would hire somebody and say, here, come work for me and I'll pay you this amount per year or this amount per hour. And then next month having to fire them because I can't pay them Mm -hmm. terrified me, Mm -hmm. absolutely terrified me. And so I said, I will not do it. I will have your salary in the bank and then we'll hire you. Uh, and so we did that. And then we did that with number two. Once we got to say number three and number four, it was a little bit harder to do that because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're talking about a little bit bigger numbers, yeah. uh, but we still kind of kept that goal. And so then that transitioned into saying, you know what, what if, t- what if tomorrow, um, the power grid dies and the internet literally dies? Mm-hmm. Obviously this is a super class. Uh, cataclysmic event. But yeah. what if? Like, just what if? I yeah. mean, maybe we're not talking about power grid. Maybe we're maybe we're talking about the ecosystem that we've built our products in. 
maybe it's me. What if I'm in a fatal car crash tomorrow and Mm -hmm. all of the employees are now wondering, uh, what do we do? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have a security net and said, okay, we will be able to operate with zero revenue for a minimum of three to six months. And so Mm -hmm. that means having cash in the bank, um, setting, setting myself a salary and focusing on building that, that cushion, as opposed to reinvesting every dollar we earned made us grow a bit slower but it made us grow very, very safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the last two years, we have con- continually grown that safety net. Um, so then this, basically this year, we got to a point where all of a sudden we realized, look, our safety net is pretty secure. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, it's going to take a super, super event to, to, to kill us, basically. Yeah. So now, now that we've taken three years of very safe um, growth, basically, now, now what, what can we do with it? So let's, let's say that we want three months of operating minimum in the bank. Okay, everything after that, now we can start talking about um, investing a portion of it, dispersing a portion of it, and then having a, some, some cash just to float to you know, unexpected expenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, and it sounds like profits really increased last year. What, what, why was that? Why did they go up so much? There, there's a couple of things that we did. Um, first, I got really, really frustrated with one of our products mm-hmm. because it was uh, it was a so we we basically have three main products that we sell, mm-hmm. um, and one of them, which was our highest earner, but lowest profit margin, mm-hmm. and so on about seven hundred thousand in sales, it had a profit at the end of the year of five thousand dollars, and wow. I looked at that thinking what in the world like Mm -hmm. that's crazy Mm -hmm. surely we can do better than that like where did all the money go Mm -hmm. um and then we would look at another one and it had say four hundred thousand in sales and yet we had fifty thousand in profit Mm -hmm. why is that one so much more profitable than that this other one Mm -hmm. and so i I tackled that problem uh and i and i said i want to i want to to me that is a problem Mm -hmm. let's fix it yeah Um, we shouldn't have a cash cow and a money dump instead Mm -hmm. They should both be cash cows. Like we can, we can, we can make both of these work. So we started tackling various problems in that product. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few things that we did. Number one, we we introduced we we have an annual licensing model. So every, if you if you buy the product, you then renew your license each year. Yeah. For long for the last ever since the product started uh, five years ago or so, that has been a manual process. So you get an email that says your license is going to expire. You should come back and renew. Well, that doesn't really work that well. So we turned on automatic renewals so that it's just an automatic subscription and the process is every single year until it's canceled. Mm-hmm. And it made a huge difference, um, a dr- dramatic change to our to our monthly turnaround once those renewals started processing. Yeah. Um, this, another one that we did is we we looked at our pricing and said, our pricing does not reflect where we are today. It mm-hmm. reflects where we were four years ago. Let's raise the prices. So we raised the prices significantly. Um, and one of the challenges that we were having, we were being eaten alive by support costs. And it was basically we had too many low-value customers. And so we said, okay, let's get lower. Let's get rid of some low-value customers and increase the average value of our customer by raising our prices. So that way we may have fewer people that come in and purchase, but everybody that does is paying a little bit higher price. And one thing that we have noticed uh, over the last five years is that – and this is this is not uncommon. 
is the, the more that a customer pays, the easier that customer is to support and to mm-hmm. manage. The lower they pay, the more of a pain in the ass they are. <laughs> and that's, that's, not, that's not to be brutally honest, but it's very, it's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, the most we spent the most time supporting the customers that paid us the least. And we said, that's silly. Mm-hmm. Like, what, if, if you've paid us $5, you should never take up an hour of our time. If you've paid us $800, now that's a different story. But yeah. what we found is that the $800 customers didn't ever take up any time. But yeah. the $5 customers took up hours and hours and hours. Yeah. So we raised our, we raised our prices to help raise the, raise the quality of the customer. Um, and that made a huge difference, not only to our cost. So like our support costs went down dramatically, but it also raised our monthly, our monthly revenue. And I think more important is it dramatically affected the, the, the mentality of the team. Like mm-hmm. our team was happier day to day because we were working with better people. Yeah. The moment those prices went up. Yeah. And that was that I don't don't think can be ignored. That's super important. Yeah, definitely. And and, um, and so, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just trying to think of another thing that we did or not. Um, but those, I think those were the two big ones. The, and you must be. How are you tracking? You're obviously tracking um, profit per product. Uh, do you have some sort of like, how are you tracking all those numbers? What what goes into that? Um, so basically, all three of our, our products are technically separate companies. So we have our parent company, which is Sandhills Development, and then we have sub-companies on, under that. And so each one has their own finances. Um, it gets a little bit tricky to, to track them all, but we've got an awesome bookkeeper that takes care of it all for us. Um, but so we, we do track finances for each individual product. Um, so we, we can look at each one of them and say, okay, this one had this much in revenue, this much in payroll, this much in other expenses, here's the profit. Mm-hmm. And so we, we separate those all out. And then we also aggregate them together to see a, a company, a whole, whole picture, a whole company picture. Yeah. That's awesome. Because that usually, especially like for someone like me, when you have multiple products, it's difficult to tear, kind of tease all that apart and say, Absolutely. you know, what, um, what went into this one and what went into that one. But as you've just shown, having that picture is really helpful because if, if, if that hadn't been separate, you would have maybe uh, just ignored it. Like this is- we, I don't think we would have ever realized that one of them had zero profit and one of them had massive profit. Mm-hmm. Instead, we would have just averaged them and said, okay, our profit is this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. we probably would not have addressed those problems. Uh, and I, I don't know if that was intentional at the time. Um, our, our main intention when we separated them, so they used to all be to get together, and yeah. then we, we separated them about two years ago. We did it then because I decided that there was a pretty good chance that we would try to sell one of the products off yeah. at, at some point in the future. And so I wanted each one to have a separate financial picture so that it was easier to sell. Yeah. Yeah. And that's super smart, too. Um, Especially when you're thinking about profits and what's the advantage of having profits. Well, one advantage is if you ever want to sell, a lot of acquisition deals are done uh, based off profit. They're in, they're a multiple of your profit, right. and so if you have that separated out and you're showing consistent year-over-year profits, um, that that asset becomes a lot more valuable. Because anyone who's buying Absolutely. it, anyone who's buying it, million- say like, well, okay, well, I can buy this and have it paid off in three years, and then after everything after that is 
profit for them, basically. Right. A million dollars in revenue doesn't mean jack shit if you spend nine hundred ninety nine thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and that's the thing. I think that's the the danger in focusing just on top line revenue, which is a really kind of blunt metric in our industry. And I think is, you know, there's there's some things that are helpful about it, but the I, I've become a lot more interested in the the expense side because it's really easy for your expenses to increase at the same rate as revenue. And so you're just working harder and creating more complexity in your business. And you're not, (laughs) there's no benefit to it. Well, so last year was, was the first year that we broke a million in revenue. And I remember looking at that being really excited, like, yes, we made it. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at our expenses like, well, but that doesn't mean anything because we only have 10 grand in the bank, like 10 grand in profit. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's worthless. Like mm-hmm. that's, we had more profit last year and we only made 400,000. What yeah. the heck? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that's a really good tactic of eventually when you get to scale, breaking apart your product lines, putting them under separate companies, or at the very least getting your bookkeeper to, um, you know, split it up for you. Is there, um, let's talk. Let's talk about both of those, both sides of those equations again, uh, just to make sure we we haven't missed anything. Is there anything else you've done to increase revenue, and to, and or to reduce expenses? Uh, there's a few things that I think have had a significant impact, but were not necessarily done for the purpose of increasing revenue or decreasing expenses. Um, one of the big ones is that we focused on people. Hmm. Um, take care of people and they will take care of you. And so one of the things we, we try to, we're not interested in hiring somebody at minimum wage. We're not interested at hiring somebody just to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very much, we have, we have an ethos of hiring around people. So it's the human element. Um, and I think that's been really, really important. We also have very intentionally not gone after growth for the sake of growth. I have mm-hmm. no interest in building a big company. I have, I, instead, I'm very interested in building a company that thrives with a team that can be very personal. Um, I, I, I've thought that the day that I don't know everybody that works for me is the day that I should probably walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've intentionally tried, said, I don't want to build a larger company. So instead, let's focus on the idea of what can we do to achieve maximum growth with zero addition of people. If we have to add somebody every now and then, that's fine. That's great. I mean, number one, because if they're a great person, we're going to work together and we're going to thrive together. That's excellent. But I don't like the answer of adding. Okay. If you have a problem, you have some, it's too expensive. You don't have enough man hours. You don't, you need more, you need more hands on deck. I don't like solving those problems just by adding people. Mm -hmm. To me, that doesn't make sense because number one, you're, you are tackling a, a growth problem by just adding more expenses. Yeah. Sure, if it, if you have the right people, then every every person you add should be able to return more revenue to the company than they co- than they than they cost in in salary, health benefits, etc. But I still don't like that as a gen- general answer. Mm-hmm. And so instead, if we focus on if we focus on our people and we focus on um, solving a problem in a little bit more creative manners then I think that naturally builds a much more profitable company than just going after growth for the sake of growth. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The because there's this idea of why are why are you even trying to get profits? And I think uh, one thing I've been thinking about lately is initially when I started very much like you, although I, I was a lot older when I uh, like last year was my first year being independent. And leading up to that, my whole goal was just to pay my bills. So you're just, you know, doing stuff just basically for yourself. I just want to make enough so I can quit my job and do this full time. But eventually, you get to the point where you're saying, okay, well, what what's the point of this if I keep growing it, if I keep making more money, if there's money in the bank? And certainly some of that is going to be for ourselves as business owners. You know, if if we get sick and the business can't continue, it'd be nice to have some profits to, to live off of. But then there's you kind of expand out, don't you? You start to think about your family next. Okay, what? how can I make sure my family's taken care of? How can I make sure my kids are taken care of, etc.? But then after that, even then you start to say, okay, well, but what's the point? And yeah. I, I feel like eventually, um, you know, some people just do really get excited about, you know, growth for the sake of growth. They just, it's like a game to see how much uh, money they can get in the bank. And that's fine too. But I think there's also this other group of people that are like, you know, I really want to help more people than just myself and my family. Uh, I want to see other families kind of impacted by, by what we're doing. And it seems like that's kind of, uh, that's kind of the road you've taken. It is. Our, our goal is to get um, that every single person that works with us uh, is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is the, the mindset that has led us to give away 25% of the company to, to team members. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is the, this is the mindset that uh, gets every single person raises every year if possible. This is where we have no interest in hiring somebody at 30000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no interest in paying somebody your minimum. Uh, we we want to take care of everybody that we can. Uh, and so you've given away if, 25% equity. I've given away 25% of equity of the, the company. Yes. Wow. So this isn't just profit sharing. This is actual ownership. Yeah. It's real ownership of the company. Um, and, and it's obviously we're not just, we don't do anything on a whim. Everything is, is, um, number one, it's very carefully thought out. Um, but it's also, look, this is not a company that exists because of me. Sure, I started it. Um, it, I, it might not be where it was today if I had walked away three years ago and gave the reins over to somebody else. But this company exists because of the people in it, um, because of the human element. And so we need to be conscious of that. And we need to make sure that those are the people that get rewarded. I should not, not as the owner, I have no interest and swimming in profits while the team members that have been hugely responsible for all of this see no change year to year. Mm-hmm. To me, that is, that is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the reason that I have a flexibility that I do now. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to make sure that they get rewarded for that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think, again, every, every owner is going to need to figure out what motivates them to you know, like, why are they in this game? And once again, there's some people listening that are just going to be like, well, I'm just trying to make a living. 
And that, I think, is obviously the first step. And then after that... Absolutely. I mean, that's how, that's how everybody starts. Yeah. I mean, I started this as a, oh, I hope I can make it this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But after that, yeah, what, what's going to be the thing that motivates you to, to keep going? And uh, yeah, I think that's awesome what you've done. That's obviously very unique. Um, Peldy has a very similar philosophy at Balsamic. And I think the, the cool thing about that philosophy is as you are growing and trying to attract new people, um, you know, I, I've often said that, like, I'm independent for life, but if I needed a job, Peldy's probably the only person I would work for. And sure. that kind of reputation uh, of being a business owner that people are willing to work, that really want to work for, that's another great way to grow the company. Um, and the way you've done it now is every new additional dollar of profit doesn't just benefit you. It now benefits all the rest of the team, too. They've got a massive motivation. Absolutely. Well, one thing that's always bothered me about the idea of owner-driven profits, um, if I am pushing my team to work harder, sometimes working long nights, long days, um, they better have a motivation that's not mine. Yeah. Um, and, and not everybody is, is driven by profit in that, in that way. Yeah. Um, and so obviously that's not going to apply across the board, but, but it can't be just, it can't be just me. Mm -hmm. Not, not if I'm going to ask more of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to, we're going to kind of close off here. Um, but I've got a few more questions around what your life is like now, you know, certainly even for profitable companies, business is hard. What are some of the things you're struggling with right now? Uh, I think the main one right now uh, on an on a entirely personal level is that I've hired myself out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me because starting, uh, if we go back five years ago, I was the developer. I mm -hmm. was the marketer. I was the support. I was, every, I was everybody. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wore all the hats and that has slowly changed and about six months to a year ago, I realized every single role that I have filled in this comp that I've done in this company is no longer me. Mm -hmm. Like somebody else is managing them and they're doing better than I was, yeah. uh, which is great. I mean, it's exactly what I want to do. It's exactly what we were, we were striving to do. But so it, it has been an interesting challenge personally for me because all of a sudden I realized that I don't always know what I'm supposed to be doing with my time mm -hmm. or what I should be doing with my time. I'm pretty good at if I have things that I know have to be done, I can tackle them and get them done. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in an interesting position because now I get to figure out what is the best thing for me to do because the have to get done list is not necessarily my list. Yeah. Um, and that's it's been it's been an interesting mental shift for me, but it's also been really great because it's the, it's that is what has allowed me to refocus on figuring out where we are going as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, how we are going to take care of our, our take care of our team in the long run, um, and that's been great. It's been a challenge though, um, mm -hmm. um, because it's it's very different than what I had done previously. Yeah. Uh, on a non personal way, I, I think one of the things that we've struggled with this last year is something we mentioned earlier: is we have this one product that has the highest revenue and the least amount of profit. Mm -hmm. Solving that problem. Mm -hmm. um, and, 
and, and we're solving it. We're solving it pretty successfully, I think. But mm-hmm. it has been an interesting challenge. Yeah, totally. And and what are some uh, what are your future plans for the business? Like, what are you planning? How are you planning on growing? Or is there anything new this year that you're you guys are working on? So the the main one that we're working on right now, we well, there's two things. Number one, we're working on a new product. Uh, it's a new uh, service system. Uh, and we're hoping to launch a, a very basic MVP later this year. Um, it might be early 2018. Um, and so that's a little bit of a of treading in new water for us. Mm-hmm. The other one is the, the product that I mentioned that has struggled with profitability. Um, we are working to one of the ways that we're solving that profitability is by taking 100% control of the product. So this is a this product has had an ecosystem of third party developers that have been wonderful they have that ecosystem uh has allowed the product to grow in many more ways than we could have done Mm in-house um but it's also caused some challenges for us and so we made a few decisions early on basically we decided we we chose to operate a marketplace where third-party vendors could come in and sell their their extensions to our product um through our site and we've realized that while that has been very beneficial, it has also been very um, hindering to some of the changes that we want to make. And so we're working to discontinue our marketplace, which is going to give us a lot of uh, flexibility and the ability to move very fast. It's going to make us much more agile. Mm-hmm. So later this year, we're going to be completely revamping a pricing model that I think is going to turn a, turn that product from slightly profitable to very profitable in six months or less. Uh, and that's our project right now is doing that. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been really helpful, Pippin. Thanks so much. I'm, like I said, it's really great to, to meet you. And, and It's been uh, a pleasure. Thank you so much, Justin. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. I, I love I'd, love to, I'd love to chat again. Yeah, the, this was uh, really great. Hello. So there we go. Great conversation with Pippin. Again, you can get the full case study at megamaker.co slash profit. Uh, I apologize about the audio quality there. Pippin, like you said, kind of lives in a rural area, and we had to do that one over the phone. But hopefully you were able to garner some good stuff from it. Uh, Check out Pippin's plugins online. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm the letter M, the letter I, Justin. And I'll see you next time I publish one of these. Should be soon. I think Natalie Nagelli from Wildbit is next. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.